So, Squirrel will say something about yeah, it. Yeah, sure. he will. He will. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. And you will notice I have not yet put up the Christmas tree like I said I was going to do yesterday. That's because we got snow and had to spend some time out shoveling. And when I got back inside, I didn't want to do anything. So I didn't. Um, I did get my Christmas squirrel down, one of my two Christmas squirrels. So I at least have a Christmas decoration. And it is my hope that when you tune in tomorrow, there will also be a Christmas tree in the place of that lamp. So... That is the plan, that is the scheme, that is the hope. All right. Squirrel Chatter is a podcast that is dedicated primarily to the public reading of Scripture and secondarily to my thoughts on various topics of the day. And we are a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. Head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.org. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You will find something that's worth listening to. Just don't replace squirrel chatter with whatever you find over there. Listen to all of it. You'll be fine. You mean, you got, there's 50 podcasts. Most of them are weeklies. So you're looking at, you know, 30, 40 hours a week plus my daily. You'll be fine. Don't worry. You know, what else do you got to do, right? <laughs> so just spend your life listening to podcasts. You'll be fine. Our scripture reading today is Job 4 through 7, Psalm 99, and Revelation 11, as we are continuing to work our way through the Legacy Standard Bible Translation. And we are on track to finish by the end of the year. Um, quick programming note that last week will be pre recorded because I am taking the 12 days of Christmas off. So between Christmas Day and Epiphany, there will not be a live podcast. But we will finish up the scripture reading the week between Christmas and New Year. Those days will be pre-recorded. Um, but we will finish on time. And then the following week, there will be no squirrel chatter at all. And I will return on January 9th. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to a few days off. Um, I, uh, you know, the last time I took any time off was, was going down to Conway was when I took time off from the podcast, but that wasn't really time off. <laughs> I was very busy during that time. So I'm actually planning on taking a few days off, doing recreational reading, taking naps, that sort of thing. I'm looking forward to that. All right, so that's our scripture reading today, and then I have a topic I want to talk about. Nativity scenes, nativity displays. Are they a second amendment or second commandment violation? No, they don't violate the second amendment, but do they violate the second commandment? That's something that we're going to be talking about this morning. All right, without further ado, 
I told you yesterday I had a doozy of a comment didn't, or a topic today, didn't I? Mm. Got up at 4.30 this morning. This morning was our last prayer meeting of the semester for Grace Bible Theological Seminary. So I did not want to get up when the alarm went off. Um, and I got a busy day in a Bible class to teach tonight. So it's going to be another one of those days. I will be drinking a lot of coffee and trying to uh, keep myself focused and active today with all that I have to do. All right, without further ado, let us then begin with our prayer of confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. Now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who hast caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Job chapter 4. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If one tries a word with you, will you become weary? But who can hold back from speaking? Behold, you have disciplined many, and you have strengthened limp hands. Your words have helped the stumbling to stand, and you have encouraged feeble knees. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence, and the integrity of your ways your hope? Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where, or where were the upright wiped out? According to what I have seen, those who plow wickedness and those who sow trouble harvest it. But the breath of God, by the breath of God they perish, and by the wind of his anger they come to an end. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The lion perishes for lack of prey, and the whelps of the lioness are scattered. Now a word was brought to me stealthily, and my ear received a whisper of it, amid disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men. Dread came upon me, and trembling, and made the multitude of my bones shake in dread. Then a spirit swept by my face, the hair of my flesh bristled up. It stood still, but I could not recognize its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence, and then I heard a voice. Can mankind be right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? He puts no trust even in his slaves, and against his angels he charges error. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before the moth. Between morning and evening they are broken in pieces, 
Unobserved, they perish forever. Is not their tent cord pulled up within them? They die, yet without wisdom. Chapter 5 Call now. Is there anyone who will answer you? And to which of the holy ones will you turn? For vexation kills the ignorant fool, and jealousy puts to death the simple. I have seen the ignorant fool taking root, and I cursed his abode suddenly. His sons are far from salvation. They are even crushed in the gate, and there is no deliverer. His harvest the hungry devour, and take it to a place of thorns. And the schemer pants after their wealth. For wickedness does not come out from the ground, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. For man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. But as for me, I would seek God, and I would set my cause before God, who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends water on the fields outside, so that he sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to salvation. He frustrates the thoughts of the crafty, so that their hands cannot attain success of sound wisdom. He catches the wise by their own craftiness, and the counsel of the twisted is quickly thwarted. By day they meet with darkness and grope at noon as in the light, as in the night. But he saves them, but he saves from the sword of their mouth, and the needy from the hand of the strong. So the poor has hope, and unrighteousness must shut its mouth. Behold, how blessed is the man whom God reproves, so do not reject the discipline of the Almighty. For he inflicts pain and gives relief, his wounds and his hands also heal. For six distresses he will deliver you, even in seven evil will not touch you. In famine he will redeem you from death and in war from the hands of the, with swords. You will be hidden from the scourge of the tongue and you will not be afraid of devastation when it comes. You will laugh at devastation and starvation, and you will not be afraid of the beasts of the earth. For your covenant will be with the stones of the field, and the beast of the field will be at peace with you. You will know that your tent is at peace, for you will visit your abode and fear no loss. You will know also that your seed will be many, and your offspring is the vegetation of the land. You will come to the grave in full vigor, like the stacking of grain in its season. Behold this, we have invested, investigated it, and so it is. Hear it and know for yourself. Chapter 6 Then Job answered and said, Oh, that my vexation were actually weighed, and laid in the balances together with my destruction. For then I would be heavier. it would be heavier than the sand of the seas. Therefore my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me, their poison my spirit drinks. The horrors of God are arranged against me. Does the wild donkey bray over its grass, or does the ox low over its fodder? Can something tasteless be eaten without salt, or is there any taste in the slime of a yoke? My soul refuses to touch them. They are like loathsome food to me. Oh, that my request might come to pass, and that God would grant my hope. Would that God were willing to crush me, that he would release his hand and cut me off. But it is still my comfort, and I rejoice in unsparing pain, that I have not at all hidden away the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should wait? 
And what is my end that I should endure? Is my strength the strength of stone, or is my flesh bronze? Is it that there is no help within me, and that the success of sound wisdom is driven from me? For the despairing man, loving kindness should be from his friend, for he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. My brothers have betrayed me like a wadi, like the torrents of wadis which pass by, which grow dark because of, the, because of ice, and upon which the snow hides itself. When they become waterless, they are silent. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The paths of their course wind along. They go up into a formless place and perish. The caravans of Tima looked. The travelers of Sheba hoped for them. They were ashamed, for they had trusted. They came there and were humiliated. Indeed, you have now become such. You see terror and are afraid. Have I said, give me something? Or offer, me, offer a bribe for me from your wealth? Or give me escape from the hand of the adversary? Or redeem me from the hand of ruthless men? Instruct me and I will be silent, and cause me to understand how I have erred. How painful are the upright words. But what does your reproof prove? Do you think to reprove my words, or think of the words of one in despair as wind? You would even cast lots for the orphans and bargain over your friend. So now be willing to face me and see if I lie to your face, and turn from this. Let there be no unrighteousness. Even turn from this, my righteousness is yet in it. Is there unrighteousness on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern destruction? Chapter 7. Is not man conscripted to labor on earth, and are not his days like the days of a hired man? As a slave who pants for the shade, and as a hired man who eagerly hopes for his wages? So am I apportioned months of worthlessness, and nights of trouble are appointed me. If I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? But the twilight continues, and I am saturated with tossing until dawn. My flesh is clothed with worms and a crust of dirt. My skin scabs over and flows out again. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is but wind. My eye will not again see good. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no longer. Your eyes will be on me, but I will not be. A cloud vanishes and is gone. But he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. He will not return again to his house, nor will his place recognize him any more. Indeed, I will not hold back my mouth. I will speak in the distress of my spirit. I will muse in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or the sea monster that you set a guard over me? If I say, my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my bitter musing, then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with my visions, so that my soul would choose suffocation, death rather than my pains. I have rejected everything. I will not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are but a breath. What is man that you magnify him, and that you set your heart on him, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment? Will you never turn your gaze away from me, nor let me alone until I swallow my spit? Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target, so that I am a burden to myself? Why then do you not forgive my transgression, and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down in the dust, 
and you will seek me earnestly, but I will not be. Now Psalm 99. Yahweh reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned above the cherubim, let the earth quake. Yahweh is great in Zion, and he is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The strength of the king loves justice. You have established equity and done justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt Yahweh our God and worship at the footstool of his feet. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called on his name. They would call upon Yahweh and he would answer them. He would speak to them in the pillar of cloud. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Yahweh our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, and yet an avenger of their evil deeds. Exalt Yahweh our God and worship at his holy mountain, for holy is Yahweh our God. Now Revelation chapter 11. Then a measuring rod like a staff was given to me, saying, Get up and measure the sanctuary of God and the altar and those who worship in it, and leave out the court which is outside the sanctuary, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will trample the holy city underfoot for forty-two months. And I will give authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for one thousand two hundred sixty days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wishes to harm them, fire comes out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wishes to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These have the authority to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. They also have authority over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they wish. And when they have finished their witness, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. And those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. Then they went up into heaven in the cloud and their enemies watched them. And in that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on, the thrones, on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God the Almighty, who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your rage came, 
and the time came for the dead to be judged and to give reward to your slaves, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the sanctuary of God, which was in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his sanctuary, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. This is the word of our Lord. Now the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. McCulloch for grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance to do always that is righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. Nativity scenes, nativity displays. I grew up in one that uh, grew up with one that uh, my mom would set up every year in our house. Um, perhaps your church has one uh, in the foyer or in the sanctuary, or or you know perhaps a a large one outside on the street with lights on it. Are they a violation of the second commandment? The second commandment, reading from Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6, we read, You shall not make for yourself an idol, or any likeness of what is in the heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. What is the focus of this commandment? The focus of this commandment is to not worship God wrongly. It's not so much about worshiping the wrong God. It's about worshiping God wrongly. The first commandment takes care of worshiping the wrong God. This commandment, although there, there are applications of this commandment alongside the first commandment for many false worshipers and false, false deities, this commandment is really focused on how we are to worship God. And we are not to worship God by making images of God. Now, 12 chapters later, in the account of the golden calf that Aaron made while Moses was up on the mountain, the golden calf was made to represent 
Yahweh. It wasn't made to represent a false god. It was made to represent the true God. And we see that clearly in Exodus 32, 3-5. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And Aaron looked and built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. Now, generally, I find the LSB to be a better translation than the New American Standard 95. This is one of the places I think they got it wrong. The New American Standard 95 translates verse 4 as saying, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, instead of these are your gods. The word there that is translated gods is Elohim, and it is the plural of God. It is the word gods. But it is also used as a majestic plural for God. And as we look back up at the, the, um, the, this commandment, God says to, no, to Moses, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath it or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, the idols. For I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God. The word God there in, in both I am, you know, I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, that's the word Elohim. That's the same word that's translated gods by the LSB translators in Exodus 32. But like I said, the, the New American Standard 95 translates it as, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And indeed, that's been the New American Standard translation for it going back to the original 1977 New American Standard. Now, the American Standard version which is in the same line, because you have a New American Standard, you also have the American Standard Version, from the beginning of the 20th century, um, has the same translation as that used by the LSB. Because they actually looked at the American Standard Version, they looked at the 77, they looked at the 95, and of course they looked at the, at the Hebrew in translating this. Um... So it's, 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 a, it's a legitimate translation, but I think it misses the point. And we know that that was the point because in verse 5 of Genesis, or Genesis, Exodus 32, Aaron looked and built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation saying, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. So he built a golden calf, and he put an altar before it, and declared a feast to Yahweh where they would worship before this altar, before this image, the golden calf. So the golden calf that Aaron made in the camp at Mount Sinai was made to represent God, the true God. And God condemns that. Obviously, you know, you looked at the 
you know, God, Moses smashed the idol into powder, mixed it with water, and made everybody drink it. I just, you know, and, and how many thousands were put to the sword? I have to go back and look at it. So, in Exodus 20, where it starts off, Exodus 20, verse 2, where it says, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That phrase is so reminiscent of the phrase later used in Exodus 32, where it says, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. God there being Elohim. I think it's just a perfect parallel for Aaron to stand before the golden calf and say, this is your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He's, he's crediting God with the Exodus, but he's making an idol to God. Now, interestingly, if you go back and read Exodus 19, Exodus 20, you know, we think that Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. But the Ten Commandments were given to the people before Moses went up on the mountain. All the nation of Israel heard the Ten Commandments. They heard the voice of God. And that's when they turned to Moses and said, if we hear his voice again, we will die. You go hear what he has to say and you come tell us. Because they were so terrified by the voice of God. Yet, less than 40 days later, because that's how long Moses was up on the mountain, less than 40 days later, they violate the commandment and build this golden calf for God. Now, the commandment doesn't um, ban all images. It bans images of God, and it bans images for worship. In the design of the Ark of the Covenant, which God gave to Moses up on the mountain, the, the, the design for the Ark of the Covenant and the design for the tabernacle, on the, on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant were um, cherubim above the mercy seat figures of angelic beings and embroidered in the inside walls of the tabernacle couldn't be seen from the outside but they were visible from the inside because the tabernacle was was multiple layers with leather on the very outside obviously treated to be waterproof even though in the desert they wouldn't get that wet so but along the inside of the tabernacle, you had embroidered cloths with pictures of cherubim. So all images were not banned, but the cherubim were not worshipped, and they were not there to represent God. They were God had, you know, we just read in Psalm ninety-nine that He is the Lord who is, who is seated above the cherubim. Um, and in all the visions of God's throne, he's got the, the cherubim or seraphim flying around the throne, crying out how holy he is. And so, the, in, in, a, in a way, those images of cherubs in the 
tabernacle and on the Ark of the Covenant are a declaration of God's holiness. They're not there to be worshipped. They actually represent heavenly worship of God. So not all images are banned. So, you know, if your town courthouse has a statue of some founding father or some famous military person, that's not a violation of the second commandment. The Capitol Rotunda with busts of prominent American uh, figures in history around the, the rotunda, that's not a violation of the second commandment. So what does the second commandment say? It says, don't make images for worship. And it also says, don't make images of God. Why not? Why not make images of God? Well, the golden calf was supposed to be an image of God. And that was obviously wrong. The reason we are not to make images of God is because no image, no likeness of God could ever be adequate. It would fall far, far short. And I think this applies to Jesus, too. I, I, this is a, a, a belief that has developed over time as I have studied and meditated on the Scripture because it used to not bother me. Because I always thought, okay, yes, Jesus is God, but he was a man, and he was a historical figure. And so if somebody has a, a, a painting or an etching of Jesus cleansing the temple or, you know, Jesus sitting on a rock surrounded by children, you know, Jesus carrying a lamb on his shoulder, symbolizing the good shepherd. You know, it used to not bother me. But the more I think about it, and the more I meditate on the meaning of the second commandment, I think this applies to Jesus too. I don't like films of Jesus. This is certainly not why, you know, one of the reasons that I don't like The Chosen. I haven't watched anything other than a commercial for it. Um, but I understand, you know, it depicts Jesus. And the other thing that I understand is it goes beyond what Scripture says. And they have Jesus saying and doing things that Scripture does not say Jesus said or did. And that is presenting a false Jesus. Now, it's not to say that Jesus didn't say or do things other than what's recorded in the Scripture. John makes that clear. But we're not told what those things were. And so by speculating about things that Jesus may have said and done, we're adding to Scripture. And that is something to be avoided at all costs. But even a, a film depiction of Jesus that is absolutely limited to what is written in Scripture is still wrong 
Because if you go back and read the scriptures, read the gospels, there is absolutely zero descriptions of what Jesus looked like. Zero. Why? Because any description, any depiction, any image, any likeness is going to be inadequate. God is absolutely sovereign. And he could have had cameras invented before Jesus was born. You ever thought about that? He could have had photography invented before Jesus was born. I mean, it's possible they had photography before the flood. I mean, you know, you had 1,600 years and several billion people on the earth before the flood. Who knows what their technology level was? You know, you had people living seven, eight, nine hundred years amassing greatest amount of knowledge. Who knows what their technology was? They got wiped out by the flood. The earth that then was was totally destroyed, so we, we don't even have, you know, I don't believe archaeological records because I think all the archaeology and all the paleontology that we have dates from the flood and after. So I don't think, I mean, I think it was so devastating that nothing remains of the pre-flood world. So we don't know what their technology was. They could have had photography. God could have had photography at the time of Christ. And we would have pictures of Jesus. He did not do that. There are no paintings of Jesus from life. None of that. He never sat for a portrait. So we are not to make images of God. And so I don't like films or drawings of Jesus. And I certainly don't like statues of Jesus. I think they are a violation of the second commandment. And that should be taken very seriously. And, you know, I always think that we who, disapprove, uh, who, who disapprove of Roman Catholic buildings with their statues of Mary, Jesus, the saints, there's a Catholic hospital in Missoula, and on every floor, right outside the elevator, there's a statue of Jesus, or not Jesus, Mary. Some of them are Mary holding baby Jesus, so there are statues of Jesus. And we disapprove of that, we Protestants. We disapprove of Roman Catholic buildings with large statues of Mary, Jesus, and the saints. Why should we, why would we, who disagree with Roman Catholic large statues of Mary, Jesus, and the saints, why should we then approve of small statues of Mary, Jesus, Joseph, etc. in our homes and churches at Christmas time? What's the difference? What's the difference between a nativity scene in the foyer of your church 
and the statue of Mary and Jesus in the Catholic Church down the street. What's the difference? So, yes, I do think nativity scenes are a violation of the second commandment. So consider these things. Be convicted in your own conscience. I'm not going to bind somebody else's conscience on this. But the older I get, the stronger my opinion on it comes. And, and so I, I would urge you to, to consider the second commandment in your planning of your Christmas decorations and your planning of nativity scenes. I do think they're a problem. All right, that's Squirrel Chatter for today. Tomorrow is Friday. This week is just about done. I got a busy week ahead. I just got a text from my wife that Goober the Squirrel is on the porch awaiting his morning feeding time. So as soon as I log off here, I'll grab some nuts, walk out on the porch and feed my squirrel. And, uh, you know, yes, he does let me pet him. I have, I have stroked the flanks of Goober the Squirrel. And uh, he hadn't let me hold him. He hadn't jumped up on my shoulder or anything like that. But he sat there eating a nut and let me reach out and pet him while he's eating the nut. I, he, I, I don't think he's super comfortable with it, <laughs> but he lets me do it. So I'm going to go feed Goober. You have a great Thursday. I plan on having a great Thursday. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.